Welcome back to Avanti Security Insights, where best practice security meets real world workplaces. I'm your host, Ashley Stryker. And with us today is Chris Gettle. Why did I stumble over your last name, Chris? It's only been five months. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, but I'm not going to hold it against you. I've been called worse or, you know, I, I do have some people who have gotten my name confused with Gotti instead. They think the L on the end is actually an I. I'm actually German, not Italian, and I don't have any affiliations with the mob, but uh, it happens. No, no problem. Great to be back. Since we've been super, I've been super awkward now, might as well just finally ask you this burning question. What is in the bat? Why do you have a ladder? Like, why do you have a ladder in your office? I'm just really confused and have been confused. Okay. Yes, it it is a ladder. Um, so any of you who, you know, have a spouse or significant other who has um, seen something on Pinterest or something like that, and they decide to, um, you know, reuse something instead of getting rid of it. So this ladder was at the point where any of you who have owned the classic wooden ladder, it got unsafe. It was, you know, wobbly. It just, it needed to go. And we replaced it with more of an aluminum kind of uh, thing that uh, was much more stable. Um, Well, she didn't want to throw it out. So you can see there's actually a couple of shelves on there too. It's now a shelf. So my printer is like right back here. That's on there. Um, But basically it's um, a wood ladder painted white. It's got bifold doors from a closet door set that we took out and replaced with something newer. And that's now my office shelf system. No, but I'm kind of in awe that your wife actually did that. I have literally, I'm looking at a pair of bright blue closet doors I took off of the hinges determined to do something like that. And I still haven't done anything with them. So I, I'm genuinely well, in awe. I can have her send you some Pinterest off. ideas. Yeah. That's dangerous, sir. That is very dangerous. My husband yes. would not appreciate you for that. <laughs> well, and no, I, I was, um, I think actually then this is an odd pivot point, but I'll pivot anyway because I'm just smooth that way. We were going to talk today about social engineering into people's good graces and sending me Pinterest would not be the good way to do that, sir. So I totally um, thought you were trying to uh, send me a phishing link the other day when you did send me a Pinterest uh, <laughs> um, tiny URL. Um, oh, I that, forgot about this, that. This did totally happen, <laughs> and it was not planned to uh, have that in here. But Ashley sent me no. a link to something that she wanted me to take a look at because we were like ideation, like trying to come up with this idea for some content we're working on. And I'm totally like, uh, "What are you sending me? You're just you, you're sending me random links. I, I you know, I, I don't trust you." Now, for those of you at home, let's hear why Chris doesn't trust Ashley. We had just had a conversation because Ashley just heard this episode of Darknet Diaries. So, Ashley, tell us about this episode you listened to and why Chris is paranoid about what links you send. Okay, first of all, Jackery Cider, if you're listening, hi. I'm kind of a fangirl and it's been kind of ridiculous. I've been spamming Chris and like half of the product security team and anybody else I think might be r- remotely interested, like half a dozen episodes. I've been listening to them constantly. Um, so hi. Um, and second, uh, you know, you're listening to all of these different episodes and, and Jack does an amazing job of taking what are really technical and security, very, very niche episodes and incidents that occur that people outside of the industry wouldn't really understand or know about beyond headlines 
and making them really real by interviewing people who were involved, a beautiful narrative story. I just, it's really interesting and terrifying at the same time. Like I was scared to give my Wi-Fi password to somebody who came to my house the other day. Um, but you listen to all of these stories and look, I'm in marketing, right? I, I write things for a living. I try and offer value for a living. Um, but I am not at all technically inclined. The, my most IT capability is turning things off and back on again to see if that fixes the issue. Um, so a couple dozen episodes in, we get to this part where some penetration testers are talking about breaking into a bank in Jamaica about um, and assessing how accessible that particular bank is. And I'll, I'll link the, I'll make sure that that particular episode is linked in the show notes for anybody who wants to um, learn about it. And the way the penetration testers started their entire operation was um, open source intelligence. Um, and they were just looking on people's LinkedIn's to see what was going on, what they were affiliated at the, at the source. And they were, you know, browsing through comment threads and they were looking at people's at, at, at public facing documents from the company itself, Google Maps to learn the outside. And I'm just sitting here the whole time going, oh, that's what I do when I build personas. Like literally I go and look at our target people and go on LinkedIn and try and figure out like what kind of people they are and what they like to go on. I'm on subreddits all the time reading about random in jokes for people and and learning how they speak and how they refer to themselves and what do they find organically interesting. And, and that was the exact same methodology that these people were using to then break into a freaking bank. And it just was like, it blew my brain. I, I think I shared that one with you though, Chris. That, that was and, and this is really where today's conversation kind of comes together is I, I basically told Ashley that the marketing brain is ideally suited for social engineering. It is, you know, our job as, you know, I'm, I'm more on the product marketing or product management side, but we cross over into marketing all the time as well. Just you guys, you know, all the things that we're doing are very much the same. There's a, if you, anybody who's been around in the industry for long enough, you guys all remember how social engineering was, you know, even a decade ago. You got the uh, the forward of email from, you know, Disney wants to give out shares or that um, you're distantly related to a Arabian prince. And if you give them your information, they're going to send you millions that you're due. Um, really, really just bad social engineering content. Fast forward today, it's very hard to spot phishing attempts now because they have tailored their content very specifically. The way they go about it is very much like the approach of just modern marketing. You have to understand your persona. You have to understand how they speak, what they're interested in, the different things that they're going to react to. The biggest thing about social engineering is we want them to react without thinking. And how do you do that? You either have to put something in front of them that they're so used to seeing or something that they're going to not expect, but it will absolutely fit their day-to-day -day life to the point where they're going to just react and look at it. So most of you have experienced most of these now. 
But uh, how many of you have gotten the um, either Amazon or FedEx or one of those types where it's basically like, hey, your package is delayed at this facility. You need to click here and give us an updated address to uh, be able to send that. Uh, I've, I've seen it many times from, well, most of us are the IT person, you know, family member. Yeah, exactly. But uh, they they basically clicked on that and figured out they shouldn't have clicked on that. And then they call you up and they're like, what just happened? And I'm like, yeah, you totally got fished. I would probably, you know, go and change your password for whatever it is you just gave up or, you know, look into that a little bit further. Um, but that's what social engineering is all about. So it's very clear from my public profile that I am in content marketing. And if you read through my resume, um, you will see that I have done paid advertisements on various social media platforms before. Um, that's not, I don't do that here at Avanti though. So for somebody just doing a casual browse of my particular profile, curious about whether or not it was going to be, um, y- y- you know, if they wanted to try this particular attack, my profile publicly would have shown that that is something that I had historically had access to. And so I look at my Avanti email on my phone, on, on my Outlook on my phone, and um, I get a notification from what appears to be Facebook business services saying, as a reminder notification, your email, your your ad platform is being shut down. Click on the button in the middle to reconfirm and, and clear up whatever the problem was. And it was using language and a color palette that I remembered from when I was managing Facebook business. Um, and it, and it, thank Jack, I owe you one here. Um, right underneath that button was the part that actually got my alarm bells going off, which was, um, if you don't act within 24 hours, your entire ad platform will get shut down. And I remembered on the episode about phishing, if you can induce that panic moment, that immer- that urge to act immediately, that that there there's some sort of time crunch or or urgency placed on that, that's a sign that it might be a phishing attempt. And so um, I forwarded it to the woman who is in charge of our ad platforms, so that because she has direct access to them and wouldn't have to click on the link to make sure that we were safe. And then I forwarded it to the security team and went, hey, uh, I think this might be phishing, but I'm not sure. And they replied back and said, yes, they normally don't send from at gmail.com. And I said, I'm on my phone. I couldn't see that. <laughs> so the copy in it was brilliant. And I felt like a goon because if I had seen it was like Facebook services at Gmail or whatever, but they had spoofed the the who it's from, that that metadata. And as a marketer, I mean, I've done that myself, <laughs> honestly. A lot of marketing is definitely skirting on the edge. So so we actually had a conversation, Ashley and I, about how to turn a marketer into a threat actor. And Ashley shared another story with me about how she actually pretty much kind of did this to her boss one day. Um, not Not this boss. This is like a previous boss yeah this is a previous position first of all so rachel i haven't done this to you second (laughs) i strongly object i strongly object with the word to i did it on behalf of so your boss was complicit in this little episode maybe you're hesitating (laughs) 
I'm hesitating pretty it's, hard. It's sounding like, Ashley, please tell the story of how you basically socially engineered your organization to thinking you were your boss for a day. I was at a new job and they had an old email database. Uh, if you're in marketing, you know that in emails generally tend to age fairly quickly. Um, you tend to see about 33% attrition. One out of three emails in your database is going to be defunct, bad. They don't want to hear from you anymore about once, uh, about every six months or so. So key, cleaning your database is really important um, because the more people, the more emails that you have that then engage with your emails, the more likely it is that the emails from your send box are going to make it into the inbox of the people you actually want to talk to. Um, I personally do not spam people and I like actually talking to interested and engaged parties. So I prefer having a very clean uh, email database. And so part of my responsibilities at my new job, I was mostly, I was at an agency, I was mostly doing external client work, but some of my responsibilities included uh, our own marketing and getting some pieces of that off the ground. And I look at our database and nobody has sent an email for something like, oh, two years <laughs> since like the pandemic started because they were in survival mode. And they were finally in a place they could kind of get reestablished. Um, so nobody had really heard from us in two years. There were people who had engaged with us for months before that. Um, it, it just, I, I so I, I started trying to clean the database and I sent my boss a list. This is where I think that she is partially complicit in this. I sent my boss a list and said, I want to, I want to scrub all these emails and take them out of the database and not have us send to them anymore. Um, and I'm just going to do that. Is that okay? And she said, wait, why don't you see, let's try a re-engagement campaign to see if maybe any of them want to kind of play with us. And I said, oh, of course. Yes. Let's do a last chance email basically to see if anybody like you haven't heard from us in a while. This is my, my last chance email. Let me, let me send this to you. And I was trying to, I was kind of framing it up and was trying to think of now, now I, I will back up here to justify my actions here a bit. My boss had verbally said to me, we need to check up on these people to make sure that they're still around. This is tacit and implicit permission, in my opinion. Well, we can debate this, but that's where I was going with this. So then the week before I had gotten a kind of bad email from somebody, another marketer, who was pretending that their boss had forwarded an email. They they were, the email I got from then looked like a forward. So the original email was spoofed to look like somebody had asked, Hey, what has Ashley been doing lately? And, um, can you check in with her? And then the account manager that had been assigned to my lead status account had emailed me with their program saying, Hey, so-and-so asked me to check in on you. You want to have a demo call? And I started just ripping this thing apart. So I actually replied to this person and just was like, okay, look, the signatures aren't matching. Your subject line is weird. The way I write, wrote my name in there is not how I would write my name. You're si like the, the, the text is completely different. The formatting when you get a forward is different in this program than how you have it laid out here. This was clearly designed and bad, bad on you. In the back of my head, I'm going, I could do this better. <laughs> so what do I do? Fast forward a week or so. I have this assignment and, um, I, the email database actually has all of my boss's responses to clients and all of the email interactions stored. I went in there and studied how she spoke, how she liked to ask for things, how she liked to sign off. I actually went and, and then 
Um, and, and I studied that and composed something that sounded almost like her. Not perfect. She liked to tweak things incessantly. So, but it would, it would pass. Um, and then I pulled in personalization tags of a first name or a last name or a company or whatever we had in the database to be able to match up and have it be, Hey, have you heard from so and so from such and such a place? Check in and see if they want to schedule some time on my calendar. And I, um, then I took that email and I actually, we, we all had the same sub, we all had the same signature block. Um, and I wasn't sure then how it would look like within Gmail, because that was our email client at the time, for an email to forward one from another. And I wanted this to look like it was being sent from my personal Gmail account. So I actually went and forwarded emails back and forth to myself in my own Gmail account to see how the email would be laid out and then replicated that within our email client sent. (laughs) And then, and then replicated, I, I screenshot her signature block to see how many pixels it was and all that. And then included that as a screenshot JPEG within the forwarded email message. Um, and, and had attachments in there and stuff. And so I sent, and so my message was look like the forward. I couldn't, I had to adjust the, the subject line because I wasn't allowed to send it as a forward. Um, but unscrupulous people could send it as a forward. Um, I wasn't allowed to. And technically she had asked me to check up on all of these people. So, um, I'm like, Hey, um, Roxanne's, I'm new to the company. Roxanne has asked me to check in and see how you're doing. She wanted to know if you wanted to schedule time. You want to? And I shared her meeting link in that. And then I pressed send. Well, I scheduled it for five o'clock or for one o'clock, excuse me. Um, West coast time. I was East coast. So the email sent out at 5 p.m. my time, which is a t- never send an email blast ever at the end of your work day. And I just kept getting ping, 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 ping. It was the most engaged with insane email ever. And then because I had put her meeting email link in there, she was just flooded with 15 minute, 30 minute calls from people who had all thought that Roxanne, the head of my company, was looking to meet with them. So I had to work with her personal assistant to clean out the inbox. And then I had also accidentally kept in all of the job applicants in there. So we had a whole bunch of job applicants thinking that the head of my company was looking into their resume and wanted to resume conversation. I felt so bad. I So the reason that took so long is if Personally and morally, if I'm going to send out an email like this, that looks like it's a personal response. I'm going to individually respond to each and every one of those. So there's a lot of apologies. But we got a lot of really great responses. Long story short, if we teach Ashley how to spoof um, a mail server, uh, basically like, uh, you know, spoof that mail client, and how to add in a malicious payload, into that link that she would have provided. She basically socially engineered an excellent blast out to a targeted audience. You're right. I could, cause I can actually spoof the link. That's actually really easy to do. It's not, it's not too difficult. And this is, this is the thing is threat actors. I truly believe most of these threat actors are now employing somebody with either a marketing background or a good marketing mindset. Um, and if they aren't, well, you know, they could 
probably take my recommendation and hire a good marketer. Just don't tell them why you're hiring them and uh, use that to your advantage because the marketing brain is ideally suited for social engineering. Um, my, my CISO is going to you know, shoot me next time he sees me by giving threat actors good ideas. I was about to say, and I do not have access to any of our emails. <laughs> I just write them here. So, so all's well that ends well, but that was... It was weird to think that I was that close. Now, uh, the the next you know step in Ashley's uh, um, journey to try to uh, improve her cyber uh, uh, threat actor skills is, uh, is she wants to go to a upcoming event and try to socially engineer her way into some of the backstage of it. Okay, I was kind of kidding, but also kind of not. <laughs> I think we'll give everybody an update. After that event, to let them know whether Ashley gets arrested or not. I'm not going to get. My boss would kill me. I'm not getting arrested, and you're paying bail if I do. That's the deal. <laughs> if, if, I keep have an to, eye on the scanner. I don't know about that. If I get arrested. You'll also know who paid my bail money. This though is going to set us up for our next episode. We are going to actually bring on a new cast member to the Avanti Security Insights podcast. Uh, we're going to bring on Amanda, uh, Amanda Wittern, who is our deputy CISO and uh, also a guest speaker. And we're going to talk about how they broke into the cybersecurity space and uh, experiences that they had. And maybe we might have to we might have to throw a poll in there or something like that uh, to rate whether or not Ashley would make for a credible social engineer or, you know, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see how we'll see how we do that, but uh, that could be fun. And if you do want to contribute some tips for how I can break into the back end of my uh, content marketing conference I'm about to attend, um, please go ahead and follow us over at Go Ivanti I V A N T I, um, and for links to the mentioned resources on this episode, including the beloved Jack Recyder and his Dartneck Diaries. Seriously, I'm a groupie. Um, as well as some of the other resources, um, including books that Chris's entire team has recommended to me. And I have saved on an Amazon wish list of how to become a social engineer. Um, I will make sure those links are all put in there. Um, you're going to have to find the police scanner info to keep an eye on my upcoming arrest. Uh, you'll have to find that on your own. Um, but please, the show notes will have all those resources uh, on your podcasting platform of choice. And honestly, marketer to a listener, please do me a favor. If you did find this conversation at least marginally interesting, even just a little bit, please go ahead and share this with your teams, mates, colleagues, whoever. Um, secret hint, the algorithms for the podcast. Love it when more people listen. That's how shows get found and discovered and more highly rated. It's not the ratings. It's literally the listens and downloads. So if you could, please take a second, share this link with somebody you think would really appreciate it. And uh, with that, I think we're signing off today. Stay safe and uh, talk soon.